Hey, 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 welcome to Stock Market Live. I am Daniel Snyder, and I am joined as always by my co-host, the one, the only, Austin Hanquist. Austin, what's going on, man? What's up, Dan? Dude, I'm surprised. Where are the sound effects? What happened? We had some cool, like, give, give it to me now. Do we, we got them? Okay. Yeah, they so coming through. There it is. There it is. Yeah, it. we'll get a little, uh, you know, I like the bull action. <laughs> we're here. We're here for it. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, man, the show's just only getting started, but welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. We see, oh, man, everybody's showing up. We got Dave, we got Chris, we got Bill, we got Anna, Michael, Steve, Walter, not including everybody that's on the social media channels right now as well. We're, of course, on YouTube, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, Facebook. We are everywhere. We are here for you, and we are here to help. Um, so the, the cool thing about this episode is last week, we had asked the audience for stock recommendations that they wanted us to break down right? We did Disney the week before. We talked about some other stocks, but we thought we'd be able to help the people. Like Gotta help the people. Give the people Gotta what help the people, the people want. So, Austin, tell me, everybody wants to know, what was the stock that was pitched to us last week? The name of the stock was Star Bulk Carriers Corporation, ticker SBLK. We had a couple penny stocks here and there. I thought, you know, maybe we should look into We got to have perhaps. the guidelines. We do need to tell the people right. about the guidelines you know, gotta, before the end of the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this company, right. the market cap right now is hovering around two and a half billion. Thought it was big enough to, to certainly look more into. Um, hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars in revenue. Um, so so let's let's talk through it. I've got some, uh, some notes here I'm going to pull up. So Star Bulk Carriers Corporation. What, what, what does this business do? How do they make money? What's going on? So apparently they're the leading global shipping company that operates dry bulk vessels to ship iron ore, minerals, grain, aluminum, fertilizers, and steel products along worldwide shipping routes. The company does this through their fleet of Cape Size and New Castle Max vessels. Uh, it's, it's 128 dry bulk vessel fleet carrying 14.1 million DWT. Maybe I'm a rookie. I don't know what DWT stands for. Is that like dry uh, weight tons perhaps? Um, but anyway, they, they carry a lot of stuff, 14 million of it, right? So in, in looking into their, their 10K, I was like, well, what's the competitive advantage, right? What are they saying is like getting them out of the bed in the morning, getting really excited. They're, they're getting that market share. What is it? So they lean into the fact that they have this awesome fleet. The company believes their technology and, and just the, the technologically advanced and eco-first fleet reduces operating costs, improves safety, and allows the company to secure favorable time charters. This paired with in-house management, reinvestment into new technology, and the CEO with over 40 years of experience in the industry gives star bulk carriers all they need to continue with their momentum. So what kind of momentum are they seeing? Well, they just reported earnings a couple of weeks ago, and here's some results. They were we great revenue. earnings. I'm sorry? They were great earnings. Break it oh, down. Yeah, I think they're, yeah, definitely. You know, whenever I think about analyzing a company, the first thing I want to see, obviously, is growing revenue. But whenever you think about like what's getting someone excited is those expanding margins, right? So we saw exactly that with SBLK. We saw revenue of $417 million, which is up 34% year over year. Adjusted EBITDA of $258.3 million, which is up 42% above that 34. And then net profits or net income rather of uh, $200.1 million, which is up 61% uh, compared to that 34% in revenue, right? So that's really interesting financials. That, that, that's got my ears perked up. 
I kind of read a little bit more. And uh, another thing they report is net cash spent uh, with uh, general and administrative expenses spent per day operating their vessels. So the net cash spent operating their vessels is actually down 8%, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, daily time charter rate is up 33%. And they gave a little bit of guidance as to what that daily charter rate looks like in Q3. And they said it was around $29,000 compared to the 30,000, 30,400 uh, they experienced in Q2. And I'd imagine this could increase as, you know, they've only booked out 60% of their total like daily charters uh, are locked in right now at this 29,000 rate. So that other 40 you know, 40% of, of daily charters could come in higher and uh, bring that daily charter rate up. So I'll, I'll pause there. Daniel, I'm sure you got some questions. And uh, yeah, why are they down 10%? Oh yeah, the chat's, the chat's popping yeah, right now. KY's there they got are. the questions. KY asked while we were it, on right? the subject, we were actually just joking about this before we jumped on for this episode, is SBLK, everybody can see the stock is down 10% today. Obviously they went ex-dividend, but I think it's more than that. And that's what we're going to kind of talk on. But obviously, um, you kind of walked us through the earnings. Now, I want to walk us through the Seeking Alpha side of everything that we see going on with SBLK, as well as what I've been researching over the last week using Seeking Alpha's resources. So, Josh, why don't we go ahead and throw up the slides? Uh, you know, I like to bring the graphics and the slides for everybody. I love the visualization. So we always start with the ratings that we have on site. Um, Obviously, as you see here, Seeking Alpha authors have a buy on the stock. Wall Street analysts are a buy as well. And the quant actually switched to a hold. And the quant had a strong buy on this stock, but it switched to a hold. But the entire marine industrial uh, sector and industry has all kind of had <laughs> what's almost like slamming on the brakes right now. If you look at a lot of these companies, they are all having the slam on the brakes. Um, and that could be, you know, the looming potential recession, right? If we get to the point where economies start to slow down, we're watching Chinese real estate and everything else happening. Right. I mean, That's obviously, right. if, there, if there's not the demand for the goods, eventually everything's going to catch back up, which goes back to supply chain problems, easing, getting inflation down. I mean, it's, it's all interconnected through the global web. Um, so there's a lot of factors that could be uh, potentially leading to why the stock might even be down 10% today, as KY mentioned here in the chat. Um, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind going forward for this stock. Josh, let's go to the next slide. Let's look at the factor grades real quick, because this is what I want to point out. This company, I mean, look at that. Three months ago, six months ago. Oh, go back, Josh. Three months ago, six months ago, you were seeing almost straight A-plus grades across the board for valuation, growth, probability, momentum, and revisions. And these are the five-factor grades that the quant system does look into. And obviously, you see here the D for momentum. And that comes kind of from the stock price lately. It has been underperforming the movement in the market within like the three-month range. But if you look back and go back to like a year, I think... A year ago to now, the stocks are like 20% and the S&P is down, right? So it depends on your investing horizon and, and how long you want to hold a stock like this for your portfolio. But then also, we got to talk about the dividends. Um, so and this I have is, a whole thing I want to talk about with the dividend for sure. Let's dive let in. Josh, next slide. and you No, go ahead and take, man. Let's hear the dividend take. All right. So just to round things off here, this is like, this is just thinking about all this stuff, trying to come together on, you know, you mentioned the recession. You mentioned all these things with trade. I think this is a speculative timing the market company, right? Mm. I, personally, I just can't see like a long-term investment thesis. I think maybe we could all agree on that. You know, the stock goes up after trade increases and they're able to book out charters. That's why the stock goes up. They shared a lot of predictions about the trade of their shipped goods in the most recent earnings call, specifically steel and grains. Um, but 
those are all predictions and ideas and hopeful thinking. And, you know, if we're really getting technical here, like what about to your point, you know, the, the collapsing real estate market in China, I feel like that would have something to do with their business. Right. And, you know, regardless, I don't see, I don't see this more as like a six to 12 month play. Like this, like this isn't a let's hold for 19 years, like a Disney or like an Amazon, right. This is a, this is a nice little momentum play, you know, wall streets estimates kind of thinking now toward uh, the next year, wall streets estimating revenue is going to decrease 17%. Adjust EBIT is going to be down 27% and profits are going to be down 30%. And to KY's question here, you know, if you're in this stock for their insane dividend, I get it. The yield right now on the dividend for the year is looking like it's going to be north of 20%. That's incredible. And they're <laughs> tracking, which is wild, right? Can you maintain it, right? That's the question, right? So they're on track and guiding to the solid revenue and adjusted EBITDA and profits throughout the remainder of the year. You know, get that, what would that be like a 10 or 12% remainder of your dividend yield? Like get you know, do it. That's great. But don't expect that yield to follow you into 2023, right? Will they pay a dividend next year? I'm sure they will. But I would imagine with profits down 30%, adjusted EBITDA down 27%, revenue down 17%, it's not going to be the same dividend you're seeing this year. So if it's a dividend play for you, KY, you know, get, get, get your dividend for the rest of the year. Let's do it, right? Yeah. That's cool. Obviously, be like mindful of what's happening in China. Be mindful of their predictions and how accurate that might be. I think Daniel has some data around those uh, to present here a little bit later. But just to the question of, is this going to be a dividend monster going forward? I'm in the boat of probably not. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I have some uh, incredible graphics here to show you in a second. We're going to jump over to the symbol page on Seeking Off. But I want to show you, because I didn't know about this company a week ago, right? This was not a stock that I would ever look to for my portfolio personally, just in the way that I invest. Um, and just a reminder, everybody, this is just our opinions. You take it with a grain of salt. We're just trying to help you understand what we're seeing because we look at this stuff and and we do research like this every single day, every week. Um so dividend grades, I wanted to bring this up, but we're talking about the dividend, right? The consistency you see is a D here, but also three months ago, you see those, those little hyphen marks in the grades, there was no dividend grades. And we're going to get into that for a second. And I want to show you, actually, let me go ahead and just jump over now. Let's let me, uh, Josh, can you give me the uh, screen share ability? I want to show you guys, I'm going to pull a little audible right here. Um, and we're going to go over to the symbol page on Seeking Alpha. If you're watching this on the video, obviously you can see it. If you're listening on the podcast, you might want to take some time and check it out yourself. So here's the symbol page. And of course, if we go down, we can see more about the dividend, why the dividend grades are so amazing like this. Obviously, look, look at this dividends. They just started like a year ago. And that was because obviously, you know, the entire industry picked up with the increase of supply and everything else when everybody was at home and there was such a high need for it. But they didn't pay a dividend since 2012 before that. Right. And that like, dividend in 2012 was down. I mean, what's that number? 80%. That's $3.37. And, and it was $15. So maybe they did a special on. dividend in 2011, potentially. I could see that. I could see that. Um, so, I mean, we can go I, yeah. into the consistency here, though, and also see the dividend history. I mean, obviously, they, they looks like they missed a, a dividend payment here in the fourth quarter of 2021. So it's not looking really favorable that they're consistent with the dividend, which I would encourage people to, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. If you're thinking about this as a dividend play, I'm not sure this is uh, sustainable personally. Um, especially with the management track record here. Right. But there's a couple other things to point out about this company. Let's let me uh, get out of here and we'll go back to the deck. Josh, go ahead and throw out the deck. Um, and we'll just go past the next slide. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, you can pass the quant ranking slide. Yep. There's the quant ranking. Um, all those were pulled today. So I went into the recent earnings and I pulled this from their, their, uh, their, uh, their earnings deck. Um, and it goes back to like, all right, what are we looking at here? 
top right corner, you'll see the amount of million tons that they're transporting every single year. You'll see the annual growth that they've had, and you see the forward projections for 2022 and 2023 on the right side. Um, obviously, in the bottom left-hand corner, and you guys can find this on Seeking Alpha as well if you go to the symbol page, you see the breakout of iron ore, coal trade, grains, and minor bulk growth. And this is what the company's kind of saying. These are our catalysts going forward as to why we're predicting growth in these areas. Um, some interesting things here, like the iron ore, they're exporting uh, from Vale in South America. We obviously know that Vale and Tesla have a recent agreement for metals being brought up for EV production. Um, so that's kind of interesting to me. Coal trade, obviously, everything going on in Europe. Everybody's trying to help Europe uh, survive this upcoming winter. There might be a good catalyst there. Grains is a, is a unique one, right? It says Ukraine exports represented 10% of global grain trade during 2021 and have stopped since the invasion of uh, back on February 24th. Um, it's kind of like, well, are they, is Russia actually going to let grain restart export? I know they've been working on that. There's been a lot of talks. The UN's tried to step in and help that. Um, might be a catalyst there, but that's so uncertain that I don't know if I personally would bank on that. And then, of course, minor bulk. And you see the increases, and you're just kind of like the annual growth production production. Uh, projection here on the right side, annual growth of tons is only four for 2022 um, and 93 for next year. I mean, that's overall what they're predicting. That's a big if, in my opinion, right? It really comes into what we've heard from EPB macro research, Eric Bazmach, and what he's talking about, the slowing growth of not only the United States, but we're seeing slowing growth all around the world, right? With Europe's recession, Chinese real estate market, as I mentioned already, there's a lot of slowdown happening. Um, so that's just something I would keep in the back of my mind going forward on this, but not only the earnings deck, Josh, let's go to the next slide as well. So I, uh, we, I don't know if you know this, but we have an incredible guy on Seeking Alpha's marketplace. His name is Jay Minsmeyer. He runs a service called Value Investors Edge, and he covers this entire sector. And I mean, he has been talking about Starbulk since at least the beginning of the year. I've read all of his stuff on it. And I was listening to this recent podcast he did with the key management of the company. And Constantinos is a co-CFO of this company. Um, and I just pulled out these excerpts from his recent uh, podcast with them. And I just wanted to point this out. It says at the bottom, in the iron ore, stock prices have been declined substantially during the last two months. So all of these are really good fundamental indicators that strong recovery imports is about to take place. Pretty much what they were talking about here is China reopening. But if China's right, China has been closed down because of their zero COVID policy and that hurt the imports, obviously. But now if they're going to see GDP growth retract, which I've seen on the street as well, everybody's expecting China to not grow as much as they have been. I mean, can you really bank on that? I'm not sure. Um, and also with the, the COVID variant, we were just talking about the other week, like I had COVID two weeks ago. There is the new variant and it's going around everywhere. And if it hits China again, who knows? China might go into lockdown again because this zero COVID policy, they are like anti-US vaccines, right? Um, that might be another catalyst to watch for for this company where it's just like if, if China shuts down again for COVID or if growth slows in China, that'll obviously affect this company. And Josh, in the next slide. So Jay Mintzmeyer, of course, asked them and he's, they were asking about the NAV because this is a very asset heavy business with all their vessels. Like you mentioned, the 128 vessels in their fleet that are traveling around the world that are all booked out pretty much. Um, so obviously they push back and they're like, you know, NAV has its flaws, but one point here, this last line, again, one point you made on management, of course, but on the other point, little specifications, like whether or not a ship has a scrubber could be worth millions of dollars for a company like this. And so right, right, my right. question is, what's a scrubber? 
right? So I went to Google and I searched, what's a scrubber? Went on, uh, Josh, next slide. Let's tell everybody what a scrubber is. A scrubber is an exhaust gas cleaning system which removes sulfur oxides from the exhaust fumes generated by combustion in ship engines. Another option for ship owners is to switch from burning heavy fuel oil to using very low sulfur fuel. So pretty much what they were talking about is they were talking about how the hundreds, of, or I think it was over $100 million that they had saved in prices of expenses mm -hmm. for gas mm -hmm. and oil to operate these vessels because they were one of the companies that got scrubbers onto their ships before everybody else. Mm -hmm. And now there's apparently a, a crunch happening with the shipyards where you know you're ordering out to like 2025 and you're trying to have all of this you know oil tankers are trying to be built cargo ships are being built uh the vessels that move automobiles are trying to be built like everybody is fighting for it but this company was apparently ahead of the curve when it came to implementing scrubbers on their ships so that is saving them money on the expense front that they could then reinvest now do you take that money and pay it as a dividend or do you put it back into the company? That's obviously up for management uh, to decide. But I thought that was pretty interesting. So I was like, hmm, all right, there's some catalysts. There's some positive things here. But I still don't know if, you know, we're talking about six, 12 months, 18 months out. If you're talking about that as your investment horizon, is now the time? That is the one thing that I was wondering. So obviously, I looking totally at a lot agree. of the fundamentals. And I was mm -hmm. like, all right, you know how I like to do. I like to look at the technical analysis as well. Josh, go to the next slide. So this is the one-year, one-day chart. I put up a little technical analysis key for all of you. I like to watch the 20-day, 50-day, 100-day, and 200-day simple moving averages. A lot of people like to just watch the 50 and the 200, for instance. Um, I, I usually see a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of movement when it comes to the 20-day. So that's why I like to throw that one on there as well. And then also, as I mentioned last week, I love Fibonacci. Um, so obviously on the right side here from their most recent pullback, what you do for Fibonacci is the golden ratio. It's a mathematical thing. A lot of um, quant systems that trade. A lot of them are programmed. And so I don't know if it's like one of those self-fulfilling prophecy things where it's just like everybody's doing it, so therefore it works. But it's something to keep uh, keep mind of. So I was pulling the Fibonacci from the you know, most recent high to the most recent low, pulled it down. And I was looking at it. And it, I mean, we can't zoom in here, but if you want to pull this up later, you can as well. This stock price on the bounce recently here literally pretty much stopped at the 50%. Fibonacci retracement and Fibby, the, the 50 and the 0.618 are two major uh, levels that most people watch for. Um, and we see the push off back to the downside here. Obviously, the today, I mean, this is hilarious how the stock is just tanking today. Um, but also, you see all the gaps here, right? This is a, not a good looking chart just from a technical analysis viewpoint. Um, and so, Josh, next slide. I pulled the Fibonacci from the bottom, the most recent low to the 50% the retracement high that we just saw. Obviously, um, I think we've blown through this level now, but you see how that resistance happened right there at the 0.618 level is that red dotted line. That's why I like to take a look at this stuff because usually that 0.618 is a really, really key level, usually has resistance or support, just something to keep mindful of. But obviously, there's all these gaps. And like I mentioned last week as well, 80% of the time gaps fill. So we've got to keep that in mind. There's a gap above the market. There's two gaps above the market, one below the market as well. Um, we're kind of seeing that everywhere. We have a, uh, what's this coming? I'm going to have to watch this on YouTube. That's fine. All right. Yeah. You guys can always check this out on YouTube after the fact. Um, it's also on podcast. We just launched on Spotify. Go hit the subscribe, follow us there. Um, so let's go ahead and pull, the, pull, pull the, the deck off, Josh. Thank you so much. I was going to say, so like, here's the deal to your question of, is now the right time to buy? I'm thinking like, you know what, if I found this stock 18 months ago, I'd be thrilled. 
you know, they, 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 they got the scrubbers first, you know, um, they had all these ideas toward what, what um, the, the shipping is going to look like going forward. Like there were so many like cool catalysts that were like, you know, earnings could grow, earnings could grow. We're going to save money, like free cash flow. All these cool things were happening today. Looking forward to some of these projections, as you mentioned, up by four in 2020 or 2022, rather up by nine in 2023 or whatever that number was. It's the, the, the top line secular growth trends aren't, aren't there right now, in my opinion. So then you kind of back forward and, and backpedal into your mind and think, well, why would their stock trade higher? And that would be if they're able to um, trim down those expenses and somehow are able to grow profits and, and just yeah. show that, you know, free cash flow is coming. Right. But to, to, to all these points of, of, you know, the, sure, the scrubbers were there, they're able to do that. But I think this year was them realizing that, right. Realizing that, that, that reinvestment of those scrubbers and, and everything else with the company. So in my humble opinion, I am not too excited right now. I don't think that I've got a cool, again, if I'd saw this stock 18 months ago and I was able to put all these puzzle pieces together and get really excited about how like, hey, you know, they'll save hundred million here. They'll be able to reinvest that into this or maybe pay it in a dividend. Like we'll just, you know, fingers crossed. Like I would be able to roll the dice and get excited for that. Obviously the stock price uh, moved much higher in the start of 21 up to uh, 22 there. And so like that would have been really exciting. But now, you know, we're, we're in the tail end of, of 22 a lot of this TA stuff you're looking at is really interesting. And, and obviously the quant just made it a hold. Like I'm not, I'm not too excited to be quite honest with you, Daniel. Again, not financial advice, just my humble opinion. Um, what, what do you think? Are, are we too late here? Did, did, we, did we find SBLK or was, was the stock suggested to us just a little too late? I feel like it was. Uh, and of course, like you mentioned, it's just our opinion. But like, I mean, look at the 10 year chart here. Obviously, we had the huge uh, price decline as we came back into like a normalization after the, the great financial crisis, right? When, <laughs> when everything happened there. But I'm just wondering, like, you look at this stock from for five years from 2015 to, to 2020, before, you know, the pandemic hit, the stock was pretty much flat. Right. So it's kind of like, why, why all of a sudden, other than just like the massive amounts of liquidity, pumped into our system and, and the entire global supply chain just being like having to book out these these ships years in advance because they're worried about, oh, no, we might not be able to get materials or targets freaking out about inventory. And like, what if we don't have inventory for our shelves? And of course, we talked about before where we, we went from inventory where it was just on time to, to just in case. So like every company in the world started over ordering, double ordering, triple ordering and that's why their books got filled up and they were be able to able to start paying the dividend dividend again and become so profitable but it's like from here on out i think we all kind of see the writing on the wall where it's like if there is a recession we all know what that means right like gdp is going to go negative we got to slow down the negative growth we got to get inflation down that's the fed's mandate they're going to do that like i promise you <laughs> the fed will get inflation under control and they will do whatever it takes because that is why people believe in the us economy and everything else behind that um but i agree with you i feel like it just might have been this is this i feel we missed the boat we <laughs> We missed the boat. I will say though, to your point as well as this, you know, 2015 to 2019 kind of, you know, trading flat, not only were they trading flat, but you weren't getting a dividend. There was no dividend payment coming to you. I mean, that would be different if they were kind of, you know, but you got maybe a four or 6% yield, like that'd be cool. Not even a dividend, man. So missed the boat. 
There it is. Miss the vote. Now, I wanted to ask everybody that's tuning in with us live right now, is this a kind of company that you might add to your portfolio or do you own it in your portfolio? Um, obviously, marine industrials is not exactly, you know, the, the coolest sector to be talking about. Um, everybody wants to talk about Tesla and Facebook and the blue chip stocks or, or what's going on with Peloton and Amazon. Um, but, you know, some people like the sector and as long as there's people that like it, the investment might be there. Uh, if you're thinking 10 years down the road, if you believe in a big cycle coming and that these scrubbers are going to revolutionize that industry and that this company is ahead of the curve and everything else, this might be the perfect stock for you. Um, but that's just our opinion. And before we get to our star guest joining us today, by the way, we are all here to talk crypto. I am extremely excited for this guy. He has been covering this sector for quite a while now. He has a lot more knowledge than I do about crypto. Um, Austin, do you have any crypto investments? Can I ask you? Do I have any crypto investments? You're talking to a guy who bought Bitcoin back in 2014 no. to go buy some fake IDs off a Chinese website. And no. that, that Bitcoin that I paid $100 for is now worth tens of thousands more that I don't have anymore. So do I buy, I, I bought crypto back in the days for the wrong reasons. However, um, I was able to, to jump in like in the 2016, 2017 range. I still have cool screenshots from when Bitcoin was like 900 bucks on Coinbase. Dude, I am knees deep into crypto. I love crypto. I got some more wow. crypto questions for us. Let me ask everybody in the, that's watching right now too. Is anybody here watching with us today? I mean, we got Beth, we got Bill, Dave, uh, KY, obviously you're here. Kirsten, Mark, everybody, Sam. Do any of you own crypto? Do any of you own tokens? Do any of you own an NFT? Do any of you follow Ethereum or Bitcoin? Let us know in the chat. We want to know. And let us know if you have any questions about crypto right now, because Mike Fay, our man, is going to join us here in just a second. But before he does, I want to tell everybody real quick about an opportunity that Seeking Alpha has for you. Uh, Seeking Alpha has recently started a user panel which lets you be in direct contact with some people here at the company. They want to ask you for feedback about the platform and the services, and you, you kind of get insight into what's going on behind the scene. Um, Walter says, don't own crypto, but invested in blockchain tech. That's interesting. What, is, what do you mean by investing in blockchain tech? That's I would roll the dice and say he might be talking about smart contracts. I know that there's a lot of interesting startups right now, as well as I even think DocuSign's Agreement Cloud has some smart contract technology in there. Oh, private mm. equity investments. Okay. Very cool. All right. Very cool. So what I'm going to do real quick is uh, I'm just going to drop it in the chat, the link to the user panel. If you want to be a part of Seeking Alpha's user panel, boom, it's in the chat. Go ahead and click that. Uh, link right there, fill out the form and the company, the team over here will get in contact with you probably within 24, 48 hours. It's a really cool opportunity only given to the people that watch these webinars too. So don't tell your friends about it. No, I'm kidding. Um, so without further ado, I know Mike Faye is here with us hanging out in the back. Mike, I'd love for you to join us. Get on screen here, man. The people want to see you. The one, the only Mike Faye is in the building, everybody. Ring the bell, get the day started. We are crypto. We are live. We are here. So ask us your questions about crypto. Mike Fay is here to answer and give his opinion as well. Um, but I want to start off, Mike, just give us a quick background. How did you get into crypto? Talk a little bit about the service that you have and what you offer to people. Of course. Wild transition, guys, from uh, shipping and uh, container stocks to crypto. We had to hype it up. It was getting really boring, I know. 
it's easy to, it's not easy to do that. And you pulled it off. Uh, so anyway, my background is actually in, uh, in media research and, and analysis. And what I generally did uh, in that field was stu study customer behavior, consumer behavior. And, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I started managing my own money. I really found it to be enjoyable. I liked it and uh, thought this is something that I could probably do, you know, on a wider, grander uh, scale if I wanted to. So I kind of put together my professional, you know, analytical mind with some of the things that I found to be financially interesting and came across crypto in 2016, 2017. Uh, it's a painful story, Austin. I did not buy Bitcoin back then, though. Uh, I waited until it kind of had crashed from that 2017 uh, cycle peak and started buying in 2018. Um, so that's kind of Bitcoin is kind of, you know, it's the orange pill or it's the first one that makes you really dive in on what is this technology all about? What's, you know, a permissionless decentralized currency? I don't understand what these things are. Uh, and when you kind of get into that rabbit hole, you start looking at some of the other things that are out there. Ethereum is obviously the next one that people start to look at. It's the second by market cap. Um, but when you get beyond those two, a lot of stuff is, you know, potentially scammy, potentially, you know, lucrative if you can pick the right things. And that's kind of what I try to do with the blockchain reaction service. I don't want people to think, hey, number go up is a good idea. There has to be kind of a fundamental approach to how you pick these things. And so that's what I try to do for the subscribers. Uh, engagement has been picking up in the service. It's been good to see. I think that they're starting to really get something out of it. Some of the picks have done pretty well. Um, and so it's, it's been fun. It's, we've launched it in, I think late May. So it's only been a couple months, but it's been a great experience. I think we're really doing a good job with it. And, uh, it's, that's my, you know, entry into crypto. It started about five years ago. Can I, I ask it. you just to get it started? Um, what's going on with Bitcoin? <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's what everybody just wants to know, because I'm looking here on, on uh, the price chart. I mean, it's been around this $20,000 range for months now on end. Yeah, you know, it's tough to say. Um, Bitcoin kind of goes through these, I guess, cycles very regularly. But what has happened in the last two years with uh, kind of the, the liquidity, I think you guys alluded to it a little bit earlier in the video, uh, you know, when you put all this liquidity in the system, it has to go somewhere. And I think that there has been very, there have been a lot of narratives about what Bitcoin is. Is it a medium exchange? Is it a store of value? Is it an inflation hedge? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any one answer. Uh, we're still really kind of trying to figure it out. But if you look at, inf you know, if you look at Bitcoin on a short term time horizon, it looks awful. But if you look at it on a long-term time horizon, it actually still looks really good. Um, it all depends on how you view it and, and how long you want to hold it. Uh, is it an inflation hedge? I don't know. I mean, if you compare it to the money that has been printed, digitally printed uh, in the last couple of years, it front ran that trade, right? And so now we're seeing what happens when the Fed starts to become more hawkish rather than dovish. They're saying they're going to tighten the, you know, the, the, the balance sheet and they're going to start, there's no more easing. It's, it's tightening now. They're going to continue hiking rates, they say. Uh, what is a neutral rate? These are all the things that I think the market at large is trying to figure out. And so until we have kind of an idea of what all that is, uh, Bitcoin is probably going to struggle in that kind of an environment. So that's, 
a good segue into my next question, Mike, which you already mentioned Ethereum, second by market cap, right? First, you got the mm-hmm. Bitcoin orange pill, then you've got this, who is this guy that made Ethereum in 2014? He's got a weird haircut, right. like, right? So my yeah. question is, can you explain what's happening with Ethereum? Isn't there some sort of big event happening uh, here yes. pretty soon? And why is that so important for the cryptocurrency of Ethereum itself? Yeah, so this is a, it's the biggest you know, I don't know if you want to call it trade or, you know, narrative that's moving the crypto market over the last couple months, at least the last several weeks, is that the developers for Ethereum uh, have announced that they have an actual target date for what they've dubbed the merge. Now, the merge was previously called Ethereum 2 or Ethereum 2.0. And, and what that is, is it's it's the Ethereum development team uh, moving Ethereum as a blockchain from a proof of work consensus mechanism to a proof of stake consensus mechanism. And so what that does is that means that you're no longer having to mine Ethereum to get the block reward. Now you're just, the the code itself is generating these tokens from staking and the stakers are putting their money or their ETH, uh, you know, in a way, they're positioning it in a way where they are able to validate transactions. So it's no longer miners validating transactions. And what this means is you, ha- they've had two chains moving in tandem. They've had the original mainnet, which was the proof of work uh, network that's still live. And then they had this beacon chain, which is the proof of stake chain running on the side. And what they're doing is they're merging these two chains together. And after time, Beacon will be the chain and proof of stake will be the only consensus mechanism and any miner who's mining Ethereum through the proof of work mechanism, that block reward is going away. So you're going to see throughout the cryptocurrency, uh, you know, especially with the equities, this is something to pay attention to and I'm doing some work on this right now. Hive blockchain is a very, uh, you know, not famous, but it's a notable uh, cryptocurrency mining company that has that's publicly traded and and they do a you know a lot of uh bitcoin but they also do ethereum and so for them using those mining rigs that they have to be mining ethereum for a long time they have to figure out what they're going to do with those machines when the beacon chain is put into proof of work or proof of stake excuse me because after proof of stake those machines can't mine anymore so what are those gpus doing are they doing some other you know coin are they doing uh, something else entirely different with you know high power computing? The company is guided on what their strategy is, and I think that that's important. The question is, is you know how viable are some of those opportunities? We have to see. So is this why all of those companies like Hive and Riot they're all selling their coins that they're mining now? They're feeling the crunch. Well, it depends. I think that some of those. Some of them are selling their coins because they have to. Uh, Core Scientific, as an example, recently sold down, you know, their their HODL stack or their their cryptocurrency treasury uh, considerably. They sold off quite a bit of it, and a large part of this is so that they can, you know, fund operations. You know, the miners have, even though they all roughly move in tandem with each other, a lot of them have very different business models. Uh, two of them that I'm personally long are HUT8, which has taken a very, uh, you know, HODL approach. They don't sell any of the Bitcoin that they mine, which means that after a while, uh, they're going to run out of cash and they're going to either have to sell the stack or they're going to have to, you know, raise debt. 
Um, and then you have an, on the other end of the spectrum, another one that I'm long, cause I want to get exposure to both ideas. Cause I don't know what's going to work, uh, is Iris energy. They just sell everything that they mine that month. And they're using the Bitcoin or the crypto that they mine to fund their operations, uh, so that they don't have to raise the debt to do so. So, you know, it depends on which company you're talking about. Some of them sell for different reasons, but, uh, a lot of them, I believe have sold because they've had to. Awesome. We have a, uh, a, a question for you. It came from the, the chat over here. Uh, I believe it's from Jorge. If I'm saying your name wrong, I apologize for that. But um, they ask, what is the value of a crypto? Which I feel like is really general and broad. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there's also the follow-up question, would government allow a parallel digital coin? Uh, what's your opinion on that? Oh, there's so much there. Um, and I don't know if I can answer it all, uh, you know, succinctly and in a matter of a couple of moments. But I think that what we're going to see governments do, I'll take that part first, is move to, they're going to use this kind of technology, in my opinion, uh, because what it does is it allows them to increase traceability uh, with things like know your customer, um, you know, anti-money laundering. If you're familiar with what just happened with Tornado Cash, that's a very big story uh, that I think has been kind of underplayed a little bit in the financial markets. Um, but, you know, governments will allow certain things. The question is, what are those things? Are they going to allow Bitcoin? I think they're going to kind of have to because that's the most decentralized example of any of the cryptocurrencies uh, that, are, that are out there. It's... Um, it's the one that I think has value as a payment network. Uh, and I've written about that for Seeking Alpha, both for the marketplace and publicly. Um, so what value you ascribe to that uh, is, is kind of up to you. And, and it really gets into the network effect of how many people are using it for payments, how many people are using it, uh, how many wallet addresses are there, how many of those addresses have a minimum balance, things like that. But the governments of the world, I think, are going to end up adopting this technology because it's going to allow them to do uh, things that are good, uh, but also can be scary potentially as well. Um, how many of them will be run in parallel that the government does not control? That's the question. Uh, I think Bitcoin is one that will survive. Um, and, and we'll see if there are any more aside from those or, or that one. I love it. I uh, actually have another question about that. But before I get into that, Mike, um, if we rewind now to 2018, Austin is a senior in college, and he's got about $6,000 to his name. And uh, I've been saving up all my, you know, all the side hustles and stuff I was doing. And I get absolutely link pilled, right? So chain link, the, the link <laughs> Marines come at me. And I, I was lucky to it's 37 cents. And I just dumped all I had into it. And I haven't sold a single one since. And I am so bullish on Chainlink, on smart contracts, on oracles, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we have their smart con com uh, coming up. Uh, it's taking place, I think, in here about a month or so. Uh, speakers like Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google. Um, Balaji, I think it's Balaji, I think that's how I say his name. The CTO of Coinbase. Uh, SBF, obviously, from FTX. And even the director of strategy uh, for Swift. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how important do you see Chainlink uh, to the broader success of cryptocurrency? Um, obviously, we've got oracles, we've got it's, you know, very uh, blockchain agnostic, things of that nature. Do you see that as an important 
um, I would want to say like factor for for uh, cryptocurrency to continue adoption and just continue straight to enterprises? Or do you see it more as like maybe a USDC type that's going to help with the uh, the broader adoption there? That's a great question. I think that it, it'll be an important part. Uh, I think that interoperability is something that a lot of these uh, people in, who are working in the space directly are, are still trying to figure out. And I think that that's a, a big opportunity for investors specifically. You know, If you're looking for something that is going to do well in the future, then there's, there has to be some sort of an interoperability uh, component to what these things do. So yeah, oracles, anything that allows for the movement of information easily, right? Um, and so Chainlink is one that I think is worth a look. You know, if you are, if the story that you described just now is a true story, you know, good for you. That's a, that's a, heck it was, of a it was a, it was a cooler story back when it was $52, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a <laughs> story. Wrote it, wrote it from some 30 cents to 52 an hour and like seven bucks or something. But man, I'm just waiting for staking to go live and have my own node and all that fun stuff. It's there you go. Well done. We got a, uh, another question here from Walter in the chat uh, for you, Mike. It says, what is your timeline expectation for blockchain technology to be leveraged outside of crypto? Are you thinking two to five years, five to 10 years, sooner or later, question mark? And I wonder if, Walter, maybe you're, you're referring to something like the JP Morgan that they've been using blockchain. I think it's for the, uh, think, the bond market, right? I think a lot of companies already are using a blockchain. Uh, I think that Venmo, as an example, has an internal blockchain. So the difference is it's just internal. It's not public. Uh, but you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, blockchain's not going anywhere. It, 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 what we have to see is which companies uh, are going to use public chains and why is there an, an option? Why would they want to do that? You know, is there a reason why you would want to have something that's a little bit more open uh, than just private? And I think that there are reasons for that. Uh, those are some of the ideas that I get into in the service. So I don't want to just kind <laughs> of give them away a out, of sneak peek, though, right? out of respect for my paid subscribers. I don't want to give everything away, but look for things like supply chain. Okay. Mm. Um, you know, companies that work in supply chain that uh, are not under the same corporate umbrella, but need to be able to share information, you know, accurate information with each other. That's a pretty strong uh, potential utility, in my opinion. So uh, Walter follows up here. Um, he says, come on, Mike, talk to me. Um, general availability for public consumption. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, Walter, are you referring to, like, seeing blockchain used in our everyday lives? Because, I mean, I don't know if I, th I think about when is blockchain going to overtake the title insurance process on houses, right? Like, that's where my oh, yeah. brain and my function goes. Because I'm like, why are we still doing title insurance for homes that were just built? Right. Like there's some things that just don't make sense to me within that, that people are paying thousands of dollars for that. I think easily if we could if verify the real estate deeds and the contracts and everything else and put it on something like a blockchain, that is a beautiful use case. But we haven't done it yet. I think, OK, the, the way that I look at, you know, enterprise usage of, of blockchain and how is it going to be applicable, you know, 15 to 20 years from now in ways that we maybe can't even conceive. But, you know, in two or three decades will be like, yeah, duh, no, 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 duh. That's what that we should have been doing is you have to look at every type of transaction and what you just described is a property buying a house. I mean, for people, you guys both look pretty young. Uh, Austin, you just said you just graduated school a couple of years ago. Maybe you yeah. guys don't uh, perfect. Maybe you guys don't own homes yet, but the process of buying a house 
is a friggin' nightmare. Excuse me. I bought one last week. It's terrible. It's awful. And so there's so much value extraction throughout that process and it doesn't need to exist. (laughs) Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. And and that's not the only transactions that we do regularly uh, or with some regularity uh, that are high value that require some sort of record of ownership that don't necessarily need to continue working the same way that they currently do. And blockchain probably solves some of those things. So yes, that, that, that's a really cool segue into this next question. We talked a little bit about like, you know, governments and when's all this going to happen? Mark Cuban recently has been, he, he slammed the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, for not being clear enough on guidelines for crypto, right? We don't know what's going on. There's no guidelines. What do we follow? What do we do? I don't know much about Gensler. I don't know much about the SEC's approach to crypto, but do you have an opinion, Mike? I do. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I should. We need to hear dive it. In. Okay. Uh, I think that, you know, from what I have read, I'm obviously not involved in these conversations, uh, but it looks from my vantage, like uh, the SEC under Gensler uh, is, is being a little bit difficult with crypto intentionally. Um, I think that they're asking for guidance on certain things that isn't really being provided. I think that people in crypto, myself included, don't necessarily think that the Howey test is a proper framework for looking at all of these things. And if you want to judge you know, everything through that framework, then you're going to end up with a lot of things that we don't look at as securities that will suddenly become securities. So I think that for, for the SEC, I think that there is a there's a power struggle within the federal government with who's going to get uh, jurisdiction over this. And I think that rather than asking for it, I think that Gensler is just kind of taking it and uh, we'll see if that works for him. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure, but the idea that, you know, he's not going to approve an application for a spot ETF, I think is a little bit silly. Um, I think that under the guise of, uh, you know, investor protection, it, it's, it, kind of fails that test for me uh, because, you know, Gensler's SEC has approved, uh, you know, 2X levered VIX <laughs> ETFs. Like you're telling me that that's less to the moon. risky. Right. I mean, come on now, like, let's be serious. And I think that for the crypto industry, they're, uh, they're looking for insight that they're not really getting. And I think that that's a problem and uh, it's too bad. So I want to bring up something. So this kind of goes off. Walter jumped back in the chat here and he said not to take political spin, but blockchain tech can be used for voter fraud protection. Not a big issue today. Um, but, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Walter, because I've thought about that as well. But I've also I want to get your take on this, Mike, because I, I forget where I read it. But it was in regards to the day we know that quantum computing exists. Right. So quantum computing, just for everybody, is a computer that runs at a massively, massively different scale than the computers that we have that operate today, can do all sorts of calculations, literally within like microseconds of the time. Right. And it was like, we will know the day a quantum computer has been built and executed because all of crypto will be just pretty much demolished because of that, the ability to verify stakes over 50% of a network before everybody else. Right. It was like some crazy concept, but I'm like, oh, that could actually be an issue, right? Like we hear about companies that are already working on quantum computing. Is Do you think that might be a factor where they're trying to think ahead and say, if we consider continue to see computers get better and better and better, and there's the possibility that somebody might be able to have over 50% verification of a network transaction, 
that we would literally see a market crash like 1987 or something and, and like have it happen overnight. Thoughts? Am I out That's there a, too far? Well, Am I like talking about aliens here? No, I don't think so. I think that it's definitely a risk that people should consider. How, how big of that risk? I don't know. Um, you know, I think you're talking about like a 51% attack type of thing, if, if, yeah. if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and this is actually one of the problems that Ethereum is going to face if they successfully merge to proof of stake. Because if you look at that staking pool uh, of ETH on the beacon chain, overwhelming majority of it is controlled by like seven or eight entities. And so the, you know, the potential for regulatory capture there is actually pretty significant. Um, I think it's more difficult to do that type of uh, proof or excuse me, uh, you know, regulatory capture slash 51% attack with a, a properly decentralized uh, proof of work network like Bitcoin is. Um, it, but, you know, it, I'll never say never. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't even comprehend the technology that could potentially exist, uh, you know, a hundred or whatever years from now. Or, and if it's closer than that, <laughs> we'll deal with it. I mean, you know, certainly at some point, most things are going to be disrupted. So crypto won't be immune from that. I mean, it is, it is the largest honeypot, right? So if, if someone is going to try and build a quantum computer to, to try and hack all of crypto, I mean, I, I think I'd be trying <laughs> to do it too, right? That's a lot of money. Um, Mike, You've been in this for five, six, seven years now. You remember back in 2016, 2017, even 2018, when there was no correlation between the stock market and the crypto markets. Mm. They just weren't correlated, yeah. in my humble opinion. Now there's a deep correlation. Now we're seeing a Bitcoin's up. We're seeing the stock markets or the stock market's up. I mean, it's, it, there's, there's more of a correlation than it was last time. My question is, do you have any hypothesis as to why that's happening? And, and do you think that's going to continue going forward? Are we going to see some sort of like singularity kind of separation there? Or are we going to continue to be correlated? You know, it's a great question. Um, I think that that correlation is a, as a result of adoption. Uh, you know, that volatility that we experienced in previous cycles was so extreme because there was such a small amount of adoption. Uh, but when you get more people holding these things, that volatility is going to just kind of go down over time. The question is, is what will, you know, these assets be correlated to and will they be all correlated to each other? Because right now they're really just all correlated to each other. Uh, that won't be the case because a lot of them do very different things. So will Ethereum, if it's successful and continues post-merge, I believe it will be, uh, you know, will that be more like the NASDAQ or tech, uh, whereas Bitcoin behaves more as a monetary instrument. So maybe it tracks, you know, with gold a little more or something like that. Uh, you know, I think that what we're seeing with crypto is, is just a different, um, you know, way of expressing, you know, ideas that we've already seen. Can I ask you, I mean, obviously, so some, some people don't want to, buy tokens they don't want to buy crypto they'd rather buy a stock or an etf or mm -hmm. something well etfs are kind of hit or miss nowadays in this space but sure. when we're talking about stocks and, and potentially adding a stock to your portfolio um you know what kind of stocks would you favor right now because investors like me i look at something like coinbase and they can't stop giving stock out to their employees and that worries me so <laughs> so where would you turn uh so that's a great question um we do look at some of the equities uh in the service I, you know, have some, um, I think that if you're looking for a, a business that has, that is actually utilizing cryptocurrency, uh, or is, um, doing so for, you know, payments, then you can look at something like, uh, 
Square, uh, you know, PayPal is trying to get into that as well, or is in that as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I favor those over other options. I like the miners right now, uh, just because those are how these things are coming to existence. They have this direct relationship uh, with these assets that I think is important to understand. Um, you know, if you're looking for like a broad kind of equity approach, then you actually can go with some ETFs that have uh, a wide variety of exposure to crypto type businesses. A couple of them are uh, the Grayscale has a fund. Uh, I think it's the ticker is GFOF, I believe. Uh, and then Bitwise Investments has another one, uh, which I think is BitQ, if I recall correctly. Um, I don't own either of those. I just like to pick the stocks individually and I have a handful of them, but those are, I think, you know, reasonable approaches to investing in crypto equities. If you don't want to have to do a ton of work because it's a small portion of whatever your allocation to your portfolio is um, of the two, if I was going to pick one, I would take the bitwise one. I think the top 10 holdings makes a little bit more sense. Um, so that would be, you know, not a, not a financial advice or a recommendation, but what I would personally do is I would choose the Bitwise over uh, the Grayscale fund. Um, but some of the stocks that I specifically own that are in crypto, I have HUT8. Um, I have a little bit of exposure to MicroStrategy just because of that, uh, you know, ridiculous um, leverage that it has to the asset. Uh, I like Irish Energy, which is I-R-E-N as well. HUT-8s is H-U-T. Again, both of those companies are taking very different approaches to how they, you know, do their, their HODL stacks. So I think it's, it's, you know, interesting to get exposure to both ideas. Uh, Coinbase, look, it's obviously the one that's going to come to mind uh, right away. But, uh, you know, I think that there are some headwinds for that company. But that company is an incredibly important part of this ecosystem, not only because it's the on-ramp for so many uh, people when they buy cryptocurrency, but also because it's one of the top staking uh, you know, entities in ETH uh, post-merge. So that means that it, uh, Coinbase is incredibly important to Ethereum specifically as well. So because so many tokens and ERC uh, tokens are in that ecosystem. Coinbase, I think, is something that's going to probably have to survive ultimately. Um, but then you can look at Silvergate also, Silvergate Capital. Uh, it's banking for a lot of these entities. Um, and, and you can kind of go under the hood on those ETFs that I threw out there and, and look at their holdings. So here's a really fun experiment idea, Mike. We all know, well, maybe, maybe you don't, but there's something called a REIT, right? Real Estate Investment Trusts. Sure which is yep. where you know, they have to pay out 90% of their taxable income um, to, their, uh, to their shareholders. And I'm thinking about these miners, right? I'm thinking about these, these miners who are, are collecting all this money and maybe they reinvest that back into more miners, just like as a REIT would be collecting rents and reinvesting it into more properties. Do you think those ever going to be an asset class where crypto miners maybe have their, or they, they turn into like a REIT where they have to you know, pay out a dividend? Like that would be really cool to own a stock in a crypto mining company that has to pay out some sort of you know, percentage of their you know, uh, profits or you know, taxable income rather in, in dividends. That'd be cool, right? I, I, would, I think that's great. I think that you will see companies in the crypto space end up producing yield and providing that yield to their shareholders. Um, and I, I want to actually make this point because it's very important. Long term, 
Bitcoin mining equities have to change their model or they're going to really struggle. Uh, because what happens is over time, it's harder to mine. This is in the code. It's intentional. It becomes harder to mine and you have less available mine supply. So it gets harder to mine, less goods. You know, it's a math problem and it doesn't work out well for the miners. So you can use the miners to speculate and to, you know, pretend, not pretend to, to try to, you know, game your position uh, with, you know, directional intent. But as long-term investments, I don't know that they're great. Now, staking assets, you know, that's more of a rent-seeking thing. Right. So it, I think, plays into that REIT a little bit better. Um, and I do think that you'll see some of these companies that are doing validation on Ethereum, like Coinbase. I think that someday, you know, you'll see them provide some of that yield to shareholders because, you know, for guys like us, we don't really see stocks right now that pay a lot in yields. This is a, a rare thing in the history of stock markets that generally paid yield. You know, you, you wanted your equities to, uh, fight with the capital that goes into bonds. And so to do that, you had to have a yield and now stocks don't really have yields. So will we get back? Unless to that? you're talking Maybe. about Starbucks, boom, throwback 20% <laughs> yield. Come on. Uh, yeah. Yields that high are a little scary. They're um, always scary that high. Yeah. Yeah. So that the, the overall point is I do think that at some point, you know, a lot of these companies, in broad equities are going to have to start thinking about uh, providing some sort of a dividend payout to their shareholders that justifies holding the shares. So that way everything isn't just a number go up, uh, you know, collectible. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. It, it All sounds right. like some sort of cool staking as a service type, uh, type company. Yeah, potentially. All right, Mike, before we get out of here, obviously we do this every week with everybody that joins us on the show because we have an entire audience here that has to know Sam, Rena, Mark, Kirsten, Jorge, Elsie, everybody is here. So we want to know, we need, we need a quick little story. What was one of your best trades or one of your worst trades and how did it go down? Sure. Uh, are you talking about like all time or? <laughs> all time, or whatever you feel time? like sharing with us. Yep. Okay. I'll share you the, 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 the lesson, the, uh, the education that I paid back in 20, I think 13 or 14, I was long a, a company called Viggle. Uh, Viggle was an entertainment rewards company. They were uh, operating an app that would make people or they hoped would uh, lead people to watch certain television programming, give them a little reward. Uh, as a result of that, I put a lot of money in Biggle and it did not end well. And it, that company is now gone. Uh, that was, I got out at like a 70% loss or something like that. But had I held on, it would have gone completely to zero. And I used the capital that I got out, thankfully, when I came to my senses and uh, put it in other things that then ended up performing and doing well. So it, it ended up being a very expensive lesson, but it was an important lesson. That's my biggest loser to date was like the first real big loss. Um, and I think that, you know, what we see now is a lot of kids who started coming into this in the last two years have really experienced number go up and that can trick you into thinking you're a lot better than you are. Um, so, you know, will we see some of those stories potentially? Um, that's my big loser, my big, my big winner. Oh, wow. Um, it's hard to think of a big winner. Um, I generally try, I, long-term I would say, Ooh, gosh, it's, uh, 
There's just I, so I, many. Yeah, right. Any big crypto? <laughs> I ideas know. I, I, I do. I do have a lot that have that have been multi baggers. Um, and I'm trying. I'm struggling to try to just pick one. I'll go with what worked recently uh, in the service. Uh, I gave rationale for why MicroStrategy was undervalued, even though it has a ton of debt and it, it's a narrative in itself. Um, MicroStrategy, to me, presented a really serious value uh, opportunity um, a couple of months ago, and so I, you know, put that rationale in the service. Uh, myself and another subscriber I know for sure went long that trade, uh, and that returned very well. We were we were in there in the low 200s and and you know saw that go above 300. So short amount of time, really nice percentage, uh, and those are the kinds of ideas that we look for. Amazing. All right. Well, everyone, give it up, Mike Fay from Blockchain Reaction. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Obviously, all your insights is greatly appreciated. Um, everyone, Josh, let's go ahead and send, uh, put up that last slide like we do every week to let people know. Um, obviously, you can reach out to us. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Austin. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Mike, you are on Blockchain Reaction here on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. Where else can people find you? Are you, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm not super active, but you can find me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Faybomb. That's it. F-A-Y-B-O-M-B, college nickname. I didn't give it to myself, uh, but I kept mm -hmm. it. And uh, that's where you can find me there. Amazing. All right, Josh, let's go ahead and take that slide down. Appreciate it. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today, man. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Great questions. Yeah, excellent questions. Um, all right, everyone, before we get on out of here, I'm going to go ahead and drop in the chat. This is a link to Seeking Alpha Alpha Picks. You guys haven't seen something like this. Maybe you have. But we Seeking Alpha recently launched this Alpha Picks where you get two stocks a month. You buy them. You hold them. They're all done by the quant system. The rationale is given to you. It's a really cool service. If you haven't heard about it, go check it out. Um, really interesting ideas in there as well. There's some good returns already since they launched it on July 1st. It's on the back test, beating the market by 180%. Crazy, crazy, interesting new stuff coming out of Seeking Alpha. Obviously, we want you to uh, like, subscribe, follow, give us a rating on this podcast if that's where you're listening. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Obviously, we're here every Wednesday from 12 to 1, breaking it down. And before we go, because it worked so well with last, uh, last week, Starbulk, right? We want to yeah. ask you, if you're watching right now, if you have a stock that you want covered by us to dive into some analysis on the earnings and the Seeking Alpha quant grades and things like that, just like we did in today's episode, go ahead and leave them in the chat, leave them in the comments. Um, we see Futu Pounds here. All right, we're starting to get some. Obviously, there's some guidelines we need to talk about, right? No penny socks. I right. think anything right. with a share price, maybe over five, ten dollars, um, a US stock or ETF. ETFs are also available. Um, go ahead and leave those in the chat. We're going to take them all into cons uh, consideration. Excuse me, I'm getting too excited here. You know, with just <laughs> the excitement of researching. <laughs> um, but obviously, some great ideas coming in through here right now. Everybody, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. We obviously love that you guys show up live, engage with us, ask questions. Our guests love it as well. We hear that great feedback. Um, anything from you, Austin, before we get out of here? Yeah, man. With that being said, if, if any of you are driving down the interstate to work tomorrow, or maybe you're hanging out with the buddies over the weekend and someone mentions a stock and you're like, you know what? I'd love to see Daniel and Austin research that stock. Tweet us. Hit us up in LinkedIn DMs. Share it with us outside of here. It doesn't have to be right now. It could be later. We're excited to dive deep into it and, uh, you know, share our thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and get a little, little, little vibes, a little jam going out of here. 
All right, guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I'm Daniel Snyder. This is Austin Hankwitz and Stock Market Live. And until next week, we'll see you later. Josh, get us on, Josh, get us on out of here, man.